This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 4, Episode 24. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, December 29th, 2021, as of the recording of this episode. Uh, this is a special one for me. I'm your host, Riley Bowman, because I've got here with me my good friend and uh, mentor, instructor, uh, man of many talents and mysterious ways, wow. Scott Jedlinski. Hello. <laughs> oh, Hello, good sir. Got to live up to all that, man. <laughs> got to got to build you up somewhere. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but folks, super excited to have uh, Scott or Jedi, as he is otherwise known, on the podcast here today. He's been on before. Um, and glad to have him back. Uh, he's got a little bit of a downtime now, and uh, so we're taking full advantage of that because he is probably the busiest firearms instructor in the industry. By a good measure, I would say, especially for traveling instructors. Yeah. So uh, it's good uh, good to catch you where you have some time to actually sit down and have a good chat. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. Yeah. Today's episode sponsors, by the way, uh, first off, our title sponsor is also an episode sponsor of this one. That is Excess Sites. Uh, sites and red dots and things are very important. You, your ability to see and process visual information as it relates to where your gun is aligned on the target is like that's probably the most important thing you can do with that gun. So uh, make sure you have a good set of quality sites. Uh, there's many great options out there. Um, we're proud to be sponsored by Excess Sites, and I've been a user of their F8 night sites for a number of years. Check them out at excesssites.com. Honorary sponsor of this episode is Modern Samurai Project. ModernSamuraiProject.com. That is Jedi's company. Uh, if you want to head on over there, a lot of great information on his site. And if, especially if you just check out his training calendar. Uh, the thing is, with a busy traveling instructor like Jedi, he's probably coming to a town near you within a reasonable amount of drive, you know, driving time. So go to modern, modern samurai project.com, check out his training schedule, find a class and get out there and train. Simple as that. I can't recommend Scott highly enough, uh, in terms of, uh, the level of instruction he provides in terms of quality of content, but also the quality of instruction. And he provides very personalized instruction, which is hard to do in large sold out classes, but Scott makes it work. And I have never not attended one of his courses and come away with personal takeaways. And that is, I think, why training is important to do, is to have that that feedback loop between instructor or coach and student, okay? And then have takeaways where you're like, wow, now I know what to work on. And then you get to work and you make progress and you get better. So get out there, train. Uh, There's obviously many other wonderful instructors but Jedi is one of my favorites. Again, ModernSamuraiProject.com. So, Scott, we got yes. you here, bro. Yeah, man. Uh, let's let's do this. So we got some commenters on here. Uh, Connor, he's excited to be here. Eric, Scott from from Michigan, he's he's been through your course as well. So that's awesome. Glad to have uh, yeah. some MSP alumni on with us uh, live as we record this. Title of this episode is "Setting Up Your Red Dot Pistol for Success." 
Uh, Jedi, um, you see more of this than anybody in the industry probably. So, you know, you see all kinds of, of pistols come through your classes. You see all kinds of red dots on those guns. You see all mm-hmm. kinds of mounting solutions. Uh, so what I wanted to start with here today is I don't think we really did this any justice the last time we had you on. We were probably more focused on the uh, some of the more technique stuff and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, what are you seeing out there? Let's start just with red dot optics themselves. Okay. A lot of options on the market. Yep. Right. Uh, and, and it's a fast evolving industry in a fast evolving marketplace. Things coming and going, things working, things not working, things that maybe once did work, but maybe don't work as well now, that kind of stuff. So what are you seeing that's working and what are you seeing that's not working? So I, I will tell you this market, uh, the product market is uh, such a fast moving um clip magazine i'm just kidding uh that uh it's a it's a great time to be a consumer in this market right um not not uh supply chain issues uh notwithstanding the choice uh for red dots out there good durable affordable red dots with lots lots of features and benefits um it's i can't even say it's it's best it's ever been it's it's the best it's ever been plus two right or times two um you know uh we've gone from an age where well the red dot is a viable option right one focal plane shooting yada 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 to open emitters versus the one closed emitter option versus now we have three viable closed emitter options out there between the acro p2 the Holosun 509T, right? And uh, one of the ones I'm testing out now, uh, the Steiner MPS, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, All outstanding. And uniquely enough, all in uh, fills a different niche within the market, right? Mm -hmm. Your 509 is your blue collar workhorse, most affordable, great features and benefits, probably has the most, um, not the most, as an acro as a whole, but as one with more than a six-week battery life, <laughs> more than any other <laughs> enclosed optic, right? right. Uh, the P2, which I just got done, you know, going through about 6,000 rounds, uh, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, five months. Great battery life, great optic, yada, yada. The most expensive out there, though, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if with Aimpoint's uh, reputation now with its fulfillment of its promise of good battery life, uh, the Acro is going to be probably the choice for most law enforcement and military applications, right? And then you got the newcomer, the Steiner MPS. I uh, just got my hands on that about a week or so ago. And so far, man, I'm really digging it. And its price point is right in the middle between those two. Right. Um, the features uh, are right in the middle between those two. And I'll tell you, aesthetically, not that aesthetics matter, you know, function before fashion, but things don't have to be ugly. It is probably the most aesthetically pleasing optic between the three. Right. Um, not that we don't have a lot of choices with open emitters and stuff like that. You know, everyone's trying to hop into that game. We have a lot of amazing choices. Uh, you know, obviously, Trigicon's a standby. Um, and, uh, you know, you have a hollow sun with their open emitter stuff, all great viable options. 
options, you know, at a uh, lesser price point because of less lesser materials. It's a great time to be in there. I still, though, we should be a little bit better. So, Riley, I'm going to call out two companies. You mm. ready for this, brother? Yep. We're both going to get in trouble together. I'm going to blame you. Okay. Right? <laughs> uh, Loophold. Yep. And Vortex. Yep. Uh, you both are outstanding American companies. You need to get off. Well, I guess I can't swear on this. You need to, you need to poop or get off the pot, guys. You're becoming also Rands, okay? And I'm tired of saying it. I love your companies, right? You're you have amazing long glass. Uh, your current red dot offerings right now are getting um, overlooked uh, because there's no reason to mention them right now. I know you have the designs. I know you guys guys need to get them get them out there be part of the marketplace like you once were and everybody will be better for it. Yeah. I don't disagree. I, I mean, if you look at say, and again, I, I'm with you on great American companies. Uh, I know people that work at both of those companies mm -hmm. and, and I know that, that, that they care and that they're, you know, that, that they're good people. Right. Uh, Vortex. I have several Vortex optics, primarily on my rifles. Mm -hmm. Awesome, right. awesome yep. optics, right? Yep. Uh, but if you look at their mini red dot sized optics, you know, stuff for pistols, it's kind of been the same lineup for four, five, six years. Yep. And there's no reason for that to be right. Uh, and they certainly are a company that's it's they're that are that is capable of innovating. And yeah. uh, pushing that envelope, uh, I think, and, and same same with Leopold, which, which has been, you know, Delta Point Pro for a lot of years now, and yep. you know, very little in the way of uh, innovation uh, other than the the Delta Point Pro Micro. Well, let's touch on that a little bit. That that's one that you know, oh, you don't want. Up, you know, I mean, people are like, hey, what about this Micro thing? I, I'll be honest, I haven't shot with one. I have, but I I don't feel like I need to because I think you know. I, informed enough on this kind of thing to kind of look at it and be like, I don't, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to like it. Look, so I restated how much I like loophole as a company. I know yep. plenty of people that work there. Um, but the logic behind the Aimpoint micro was imagine if Henry Ford said, okay, we're going to make something to replace the horse, but it's got to, we got to make the car look like a horse. Right. So yep. they basically cook a red dot <laughs> And made it at the same focal plane and height and mounting solution as iron sights. It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense, right? We're going to invent this computer, but it's got to look like a book. Nope. Yep. <laughs> no. No. Even though we try, even though yeah. we try to do that, and every time you're on a plane, you see somebody with one of those Kindle things, you're like, bro, <laughs> you know, they make audio books, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I say, not to call out those companies with any sort of malice, I do it because, well, it's for a selfish reason, right? Uh, the more dots that are out there, the more pushes every other company to be more durable, more affordable, with more features and benefits, right? Mm -hmm. And I know those companies have the engineers. I know they have the technology. I know they have the manufacturing. So so where is it? I mean, think about, think about the downtime between Vortex's offerings right? And loopholes offerings, right? You have companies, entire companies that have sprouted out of nowhere, right? Uh, not to give them any more press than they deserve, but, you know, some people like Swamp Fox, right? Mm -hmm. Swamp Fox is Vortex six, seven years ago, 
right? Mm-hmm. But in the time of the lag of new innovation between those two companies, uh, Swamp Fox has come out of nowhere and I'm seeing them in my class all the time. You, you can't tell me a person can com- completely create a new company in the time it takes you to develop one model. Come on, come on, yeah. let's get with it. Let's get yep. with it. Cool. Love your companies, want to see you do better. Uh, so we agree on that. Yeah, so we agree on that. Um, so, yeah, so th- that, that's kind of the pecking order, right? Uh, Trijicon, you need to come out with a closed emitter. Before, I really didn't care about closed emitters, man. But now that the price point has come down, there's more competitions uh, or competition. Uh, they need to have a, a closed emitter offering. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. about it. That's about it on that one. Um, what else? We're going to talk about setting it up properly yeah, so or something. Well, so, like well, let me ask you a couple questions yeah. related to what we were just on. Uh, so, first of all, uh, closed emitter versus open emitter. Okay. How important is that really? I think it depends on what you do, mm-hmm. right? I think if you're a concealed carrier uh, and you're, most of the time your optic is covered with a garment, um, uh, exposure to the elements isn't all that important. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number one, right? If you are a professional, right? Law enforcement or military. And there could be times where you're out in the elements, right? Uh, even though I'm still looking for that officer that comes to my class, it's been in that gunfight in the rain with the pistol still hasn't happened yet, but, um, where the sights mattered, right? Mm-hmm. I guess I should say, uh, still looking for that guy, but you know, you have more of a, uh, propensity to be in those situations. Um, then closed emitter might be more, uh, you know, um, attracted to you. If you're a seal, doing saltwater beach landings, then you need a closed emitter. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, you'll do, uh, according to my buddy, uh, uh, Kyle DeFore, uh, an open emitter will make about one or two, and then the saltwater just eats it alive. Uh, so you need a closed emitter for that stuff, right? It really depends on what you do and your price point. The great thing is, man, holy cow, if you work the discounts right, if you time it just right, you can get an amazing optic for 250 275 bucks. That's going to last you 10,000, 15,000 rounds these days with like things like with like hollow sun offerings and things like that. Yeah. Man, what a great time. What a great time to be alive. <laughs> I get excited about silly stuff like that. <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, uh, how much, how far we've come in just three or four years in this space is quite remarkable. Oh, I remember wandering the yeah. shot show floor uh, like four years ago, five years ago, maybe. It was probably like four years ago. And I remember saying like, I, what I said, I think it was four years ago. And I said, five years from now, every manufacturer will make pistols that are optic ready. And we'll be seeing pistols where that that's becoming the thing. Like it becomes yeah. like standard equipment almost, you know, yeah. and, and we actually, and not that I'm a special prophet or anything like that, but like that, that, that was kind of my observation walking around kind of, you know, paying attention yeah. to the, the feel of the industry. I was like, that's, what's going to happen. It's actually happened a lot quicker mm-hmm. than what I anticipated myself. So it's, it's, it really is a remarkable time that we're in. Um, so, so a couple other questions. So you, we, you talked about closed emitters. I do feel like I would be remiss if I didn't explain for the sake of some of our newer listeners closed emitter versus open emitter closed is where the optic everything is is enclosed within a box okay to keep it simple right so with these red dot optics you have an emitter it's a little 
point source of light that you know basically like shining like a almost like a laser beam although it's not exactly a laser it's not blinding your your or burning your retina or anything like that but shining a little led light that's focused in a, in a point hits the glass comes back bounces to your eye so that's where you see the, the red dot you got to have that source of light coming from somewhere to bounce off the glass so closed emitter it's all enclosed it's protected from the weather from the elements from the dust open emitter yeah, you can get some water in there. You can get some water on the glass. Um, you'll get some dust on there, whatever. It might occlude some of your vision and stuff. Typically, it'll work just fine. But sometimes if it got bad enough, maybe it won't. But mm-hmm. to your point, if you're carrying concealed, probably not the biggest concern. Or also the other point, you have yet to meet a law enforcement officer that actually was in a gunfight where that would have mattered where they were in a, in, in a, in a downpouring rain and it would have caused their optic to not work. Yep. Right. Yep. All right. Battery life. I'm going to ask about that. Cause you touched on that a little bit, like the Acro P2 from, uh, from Aimpoint. Uh, they came up with the P1 a few years ago. Uh, everyone's all excited, but then they found out, Oh, the battery lasts like a month. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, uh, you know, some people probably be like, well, it's not a big deal. Cause it's, I can just, change it externally it doesn't you know i just make sure i change my battery every few weeks (laughs) and move on with life but it's not ideal so what are we seeing these days that is when you say has something has good battery life what does that mean what is good battery life considered um i so people are going to be probably um a little surprised by my answer on this right Mm -hmm. so uh functionally for me good battery life three months (laughs) three months Right. Um, and this is not scientific. This is just me knowing me about someone who probably has, other than that person getting into that self-defense encounter whose dots gone out, there's probably no one else that had, whereas more of an embarrassing situation than they set up to the line and their dots gone out than me, right. As an instructor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the rule of thumb, um, and I don't know where, if I just made this up or guys, right. When I take whatever, the manufacturer's rating is, right? For example, the RMR is two years, right? And I divide by four, right? So with the RMR, I would change it out every six months, okay? Um, Then with the side and top loading batteries and stuff like that, I'm like, well, it's so easy. Uh, Let me do a little insurance policy and cut that in half and did three months, right? So I change out all my batteries every three months, Okay. Um, I think when you're talking quarterly, that is a substantial amount of time. Anybody can put that on their calendar or remember that, right? Uh, It's a good chunk of time where you're not constantly worried about, oh, is my battery dead? Is my battery dead? Is my battery dead? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Four to six weeks, you're constantly worrying about that, right? Because life goes through cycles. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, there have been too many times where people came to my class with an Acro P1 and their batteries went dead. Right. I would literally joke, you bring extra batteries. They're like, yep, okay, TD1 or TD2, 11 o'clock. Well, oh, sorry, got to go change out my battery. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that was unacceptable to me. And I was very vocal about that. Right. Yeah. Um, just as vocal as I've had the P2 and the thing's been flawless. Uh, I've had it for five months. Uh, Cody at Walther gave it to me, had it for a month before that. Uh, so that battery's on for six months on the same battery through various lighting conditions, and it's been absolutely flawed. So good job, Aimpoint, coming back to living up to your own standard, right? Um, so why is three months um, my thing? It's just because that's it's it's a quarterly thing, right? I will tell you, though, that um, the other reason why 
in testing that out is if you run the 509 or the SRO in various lighting conditions, right? Always changing them like I do, you know, one day I could be in overcast Pennsylvania, the next day I'm in, you know, Broward County, Florida, right? Constantly changing, blah, 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 blah. Uh, if you run those optics hard, it's three to four months on the battery. I don't care what Trijicon or Hollow Sun says, it's three to four months on the battery, okay? Now, is that a is that a deal breaker? A absolutely not. Like I said, I had that quarterly three-month thing in my head well before those wind up being that way. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's arbitrary. It's completely arbitrary. It's not scientific. I just, you know, you can base things out on quarterly. You know, everyone's heard of a quarterly business plan, mm -hmm. you know, or a quarterly budget, right? Or something to that effect, right? So quarterly is how I judge batteries. Your mileage may differ. But that um, that uh, bellwether has served me well. Yeah. So I, I'm in the same boat. I, I change my battery and my optics every three months. Mm. Oh, see, we didn't even talk about that. I didn't know yep. that. Okay, yep. cool. Yep. Uh, now, some of that's because I I I have to with my particular optic. Mm. You, ah. you, you know, I'm running the uh, Romeo One. Okay. Uh, still. Um, yeah. That might change this year. We'll see. But oh, you're uh, doing the one or the pro. Mine is the one, the original. Oh Jesus! Come on, bro. Come uh, get out, dude. Here. I'm still, I'm still on the original one for that I've had for since I bought my first. And the old, you know, I I got it because I bought the uh, Sig 320 RXP mm -hmm. model, just yeah. the standard model. However many years ago, I think four years ago now, I bought it. Maybe three and a half. And uh, I I bought it just to start playing with the red dot, and I started playing yeah. with it, started playing with it, shot it, still keep running it. And I have I have documented in excess of twenty thousand rounds on that optic. How old is that optic? It is three. I'd have to go check some paperwork, but it's it's more than three years old. So it's a hollow sun. <laughs> so, but anyway, I just keep I just keep running it. But cool. the battery life's not that great on it. Yeah. But every three months, I change it out. Yeah. Are you going uh, go to go to the Romeo Pro? Are you going to go to a Max? Well, so I run the Romeo 3 Max on my competition gun. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's just right, that's just right. competition use. Uh, if I switch to something else, I think I will switch to an SRO because I'm perfectly happy to run uh, an SRO in my carry context of you know just what I do in my day-to-day -day life, and I like the size of the window. Yep. So, yeah. So I'm going to give you a piece of advice for the SRO though. Like, and I do, yeah. I love the SRO too. You know how I feel about that. Yeah. Uh, when you, well, you always drive. Do you ever fly? I do fly some. Yes. Okay. So if you fly and you have that in your case, if it's an upright case, you need to take the slide off the frame and put the slide low because I've mm -hmm. lost two SROs uh, to TSA, not yeah. because the SRO, but because it sits higher and it's, it rests right on top and TSA, man, they see man. locks and yeah. cases and they just start throwing stuff. And, yep. uh, yep. I don't think that's the SRO. I think if, I don't know, man, I honestly think about a different optic that was that high up against the thing. I might experiment with that, man. I got more hollow suns than I know what to do with. I think yeah. I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to put like some wedge, like a, a, a wedge. So for a, fl a platform, underneath my guns and put it right at the top and see what happens to those hollow suns. Mm -hmm. That'd be interesting. I don't know. Completely yeah. off kilter. Nobody cares about that, but weird stuff that we think about, right? Yeah. Yep. A uh, couple other questions, uh, just kind of specific to the dots. Uh, we, we covered the, uh, we covered the mailboxes. We covered battery life. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
Open emitters. What are you seeing there that's working, not working, so forth? What are, what are the, the king? The king is still the RMR. Yep. Right. There's, there's. I mean, there's just so many out there in the market. Um, the thing of it, the thing of it is, the RMR is that heavy lifting man. It's that. Uh, it's been through hell. It's that for your first car, right? That mm-hmm. your dad had, that your older brother had, and now you have, right? Yep. It's been fixed. It's been repaired. There's been more mods to it. Right. And the thing just keeps on going. Right. Um, uh, what would I like to see? It's that old Toyota Camry that has 240,000 miles on it. Right. Keeps chugging. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't want to stand in front of it. You know what I mean? Because it's still (laughs) going to keep on working. Right. Um, And the thing about it, man, is just like that car, man. You learn how to fix cars on that car. Right. You learn how to shoot the dot on that RMR. You do that. Everything else is downhill. Right. Yep. what would I would like to see from Trijicon? I, you know, uh, don't change the uh, the form set. You made it one smaller. Make one bigger now. Mm. Make one bigger. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, it's still the Trijicon RMR. That's still the king. Um, what would be number two? Holosun. Yeah, all varieties. The five hundred nine is probably the five hundred nine is probably easy number two now because it's so available. Um, everybody likes that closed emitter. The price point is good. Um, the window is perfectly in between the size of an RMR mm-hmm. and an SRO. Um, so yeah, that's easily number two. Uh, and, and, and for, if, if you were limiting it to open emitter, would you still say hollow sun and like, a, yeah, yeah. Probably 508. Yeah. 507, 508. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah, Just cause it's so cost effective. They're mm-hmm. durable enough. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And good return policy. Yeah. So everything else is just a smattering of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Those, uh, yeah. Those two kind of tend to stand out. Everything else is clamoring for 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 third place essentially. If yeah. That. Yep. Still a big market though. Still yeah. a huge market, especially you know. Uh, I mean, this is what we call in business an emerging market that yeah. everyone's clamoring to get in. And if you, even if you're not top dog, man, there's still a lot of consumer base to go after. A lot. I mean, mm-hmm. by and large, most gun owners and gun carriers are still not running red dots. So there's there's still a a large wave coming in that mm-hmm. respect. Oh yeah. Uh, I would I would say that we're past the early adoption phase but not quite, you know, widespread use either. So we're, we're definitely on that steep uphill climb and it's growing fast. Yep. How about on micro pistols? I mean, we see things like the, uh, obviously Halston there, the 507, 407K models, mm-hmm. the Romeo Zero. We've got Swamp Fox with an entry there. We've got, of course, the RMSC was the, was the thing for, the only thing you had for a couple of years there. Uh, what are your thoughts there on micro pistols and, and is it worthwhile considering still having a red dot on a micro gun? And, and if so, which, which one? Would so, you you're an American, do what you want. Yeah. Right. If you keep on telling yourself that overhang of the larger optic over your mini gun, uh, uh, your compact gun is going to cause snagging on your draw. You're, you're lying to yourself, man. Mm-hmm. You just want it to be aesthetically pleasing. And I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it, dude. Right. If I'm going to go out there and I'm going to spend, you know, uh, four five, six, maybe seven grand on a custom 1911, I think I don't want my optic to overhang, you know what I mean? So put on an RMR CC on there, 
mm-hmm. right? Um, if because it's just that it's aesthetics, guys. First of all, I don't understand that your small little compact gun is ugly to begin with. It's not <laughs> just stop, right? So I, I'm just kidding. Okay, do what you guys do 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 what you want to do, right? But it's like it, it's like oh, small gun, small optic. No, <laughs> stop, stop, right? That's like small car, small steering wheel. No, and that's ridiculous. <laughs> stop doing that, right? Uh, but do what you want. You know what I mean? Again, if I was going to go out, I was to spend like you know four grand, four or five grand, six grand on a less bear 1911, get it milled. Would I put an RMRCC on there? Uh, probably not, <laughs> but you might want to just because it's so aesthetically pleasing, right? Yeah. The one thing I want to caution people out of, right, is the whole thing of I want a small optic so that I can use my stock iron sights and uh, do an absolute co-witness. That's ridiculous. They're two different sighting systems. Uh, zero your irons, zero your dot. If they line up, that's a byproduct, not a um, uh, not a goal. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Not a goal, right? Uh, and make sure you get a good one. The 407, 507K, great optics, right? The uh, RMRCC is a great optic. As a matter of fact, man, the thing with the RMRCC, dude, if you just looked at it and I didn't tell you what it was, you would just think it was a regular RMR. You right. know what I mean? Because it's just, it's it's thinner, uh, only 0.1 millimeters shorter, right? So it's a, it's a great optic. Uh, not a fan of anything made by Shield. Um, mm-hmm. Hard stop. Um, Swamp Fox, uh, I keep on mentioning them just because they got a great price point and the glass seems to be clear. Uh, they have not earned their right to be mentioned with those other companies yet, uh, but they're out there. They're out there. So, you know, yeah. it is what it is. Um, I think Swamp Fox is that one's like, well, you know. I've got this gun that already came milled from the factory. I want to try it, but I want to spend a lot of cheddar. I don't want to buy, you know, something. I don't know. So let's get this. And it, the glass is clean. The dots bright, you know, um, is it robust? I don't think it has. I don't think it's been brought through enough for anybody to uh, comment on whether or not it's a robust optic yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anybody's expecting that with the price point either. You know, it's a plinking gun. Uh, it's a plinking optic for the most part, right? Uh, hopefully, I would like to be corrected uh, and uh, made wrong uh, because, again, more competition in the marketplace benefits everybody. Yeah. So um, what else? Uh, yeah, that's generally how I feel about that. Don't like the Sig Zero at all. Uh, I've had uh, six come through my classes. None of them have made it through. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I don't think any of them have made it through day one. <laughs> Okay. Yep. 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 So that's how I feel about small optics, but that's the same how I feel about guns. More gun, more better, more optic, more better Mm -hmm. for the most part. You know what I mean? Uh, Yes, I am a firearms instructor. I can carry any gun that I want uh, for the most part. Right. But, you know, you do you. You do you. Now, what would you say is, is your expectation in terms of round count that, you, you know, for a, for a good quality optic, I mean, I, I remember a time, and I would say even amongst the com- competition shooters, there's plenty of competition shooters that are like perfectly happy to get 5,000 rounds out of an optic. And if they got a warranty, they send it in to get a new one and they, you know, carry on their way, you know. But like, what would you say is uh, when, you, when we talk about robustness or durability, like what's the expectation based on the... To be that top tier? Yeah. 10 grand. Yeah. 10 grand. Uh, and I think they're much higher than that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but for most people, 10 grand's a lifetime. Yeah. Yep. Right. Uh, for 
for me, I was about to say me and you, but you probably shoot more than I do these days. Uh, 10 grand is five months for me, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I'm a little, you know, but so, uh, if we do it based on time though, um, have I had any of my optics fail in five months? I have not, I have not. Right. Yeah. But I think to be considered a, a, a true player, um, 10 grand. Yeah. 10, 10 yep. yeah, 10,000 10, rounds. And I, and I think you can be counted amongst, uh, the echelon uh, of getting there yeah. of getting there. So yeah. on yes. the other hand, with the acro, I wouldn't even give my blessing until I hit five months and uh, 6,000. So. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Cool. That's, that's, that's all good information. Yeah. I, I, I go through this with you just again, cause you see more than anybody and, and, and I want my listeners to make good choices. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, like you said, it's America, do what you want. Yep. Uh, maybe a someone, maybe a person considers themselves just a plinker and a hobbyist and like, okay, whatever, do your thing. But, uh, this is the concealed carry podcast. People are carrying more and more optics, uh, on their concealed pistols. And, um, you know, I want to know, I want our listeners to know what's working, what's get, you know, what has the reputation, what make, make a, make the best informed, well-informed decision you can, uh, for on that gun that you are carrying for to to uh, save your life with. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what, you know, now we start making the, let's make that crossover into now optic attached to pistol, mm. right? Mounting solutions. Uh, what works? Maybe what's not working so well. What, what, what's King of the Hill and, and what are some things you see that uh, are frequent causes for failures? Yeah. So um, we're in a period of, we're like in the beginning of the enlightenment with mounting mm. solutions, right? We used to think that we were, but you know, 2012, 13, 14, it, we were just discovering fire. <laughs> we didn't know what the hell to do with it, but we were discovering it. You know what I mean? Uh, old school guys, you know, uh, uh, Dave Bowie, um, yep. Doug Holloway, yep. uh, you know, there's a couple other old school guys uh, that did that stuff as well. Man, those dudes discovered fire. God bless them. God bless them. Right. Uh, now we come modern day age where most factories have a, a carry optics ready or an optics ready pistol. And then the mounting solutions come in. Um, most mounting solutions in the beginning were not good. We're not good at all. Right. The MOS is the MOS is still garbage. Sorry, Glock. Love you. It's still garbage. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, what, but much like everything else Glock does, it starts off with his uh, accessories being garbage and then an entire aftermarket uh, grows out of it, right? Um, before we start talking about those mounting solutions, though, the aftermarket ones, I will say this, um, you know, uh, FN was the first one who got it right the very first tryout. Uh, their mounting solution is probably, uh, for a factory mounting solution, is probably the best in the industry. Best in the industry, right? Um, and everyone kind of discounts FN. I mean, they were the 
they were the production OG with the FNX 45 tactical, man. Um, I, ha- I used to have one and I never had problems with that gun and its mounting solution. So, uh, but then with the uh, 509, they did a great job on that. Everybody else, meh, you know, uh, Walther came late into the game and they had all the bosses and everything like that. So they did a good job, but they were late in the game. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but primarily it was Glock and SIG. Right. Uh, and M&P. And from that, you have an entire aftermarket plate issue, uh, more notably uh, CNH Precision. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, who Buck and them kind of changed the game, taking uh, and working with Zev about the uh, mounting posts and stuff, uh, kind of changing the way we think about how things have to be mounted and things of that nature. And uh, they've absolutely exploded. Right. Uh, there's some growing pains. Sure. You know, name the company that explodes like that, that doesn't have growing pains. And I'll show you a company that's lying to you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but every day they innovate. And for right now, for most applications, man, they're the de facto choice. Right. Um, a lot of other good options out there, you know, forward controls for right for design control, something like that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, great company, uh, good designs. You know, um, Scott Springer, Springer Precision, Precision has been making adapter plates for competition-based guns for a while now. Those are good products and everything. Um, so I think we have we have the core answer in the aftermarket available for all factory options, right? I think some of the things that we're looking out for uh, that we're still, we're still not there is that it's still just not a, the offering is not ubiquitously consistent. How about that? Mm. I should make Aaron Cowan pay me a hundred dollars for those two (laughs) words, man. You know what I mean though? You know what I mean? Like I have, I have plates from, you know, uh, you know, CNH or other companies that are bulletproof. I have others that I can't. They, I run out of downward elevation on it because the uh, the plate's out of spec. Right? It is what it is for me. It's not that big of a deal. I just call and have pay for get it overnight or something like that. But for your average user, I think that's something that manufacturers and Buck's a very good friend of mine. He's a business partner of mine, very good friend of mine. Right? But I'm talking to all the guys who manufacture mounting solutions. Right? You need to know that for the average dude. That hundred bucks he just paid while he's waiting at his door with his blue Loctite and his Wheeler uh, Torque, uh, you know, uh, uh, screw, uh, screwdriver, uh, that's a lot of money to him, mm-hmm. right? And we need to get it to the point where it is ubiquitously consistent, and that's what I'd like to see out of those, out of, see out of those guys. They're right there, man. Yep, there. They are right there, right? And believe me, man, uh, you know, I probably have the closest relationship with Buck. And uh, when it doesn't happen and I hear about it, he hears about it and he takes it on the chin, sometimes too hard. No, I'm just kidding, Buck. Love you, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but uh, it's all about everybody getting better. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, so there's that. Um, the biggest thing where people fall down in the install is the installation process, right? Um, I can't tell you. Especially my LE brothers. I love you to death, man. But you got to put thread locker on your stuff. You got to do it. Mm-hmm. You got, I mean, just throw the blue stuff on there, man. You're a gun guy. You probably have blue Loctite coming out your drawers right now, <laughs> you know, from all the stuff that you bought. Um, some people love uh, VC3. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not smart Never enough tight. to use. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not smart enough to use Vibratite VC3, I guess. Right. I just turn everything pink. 
and <laughs> nothing seems to stay. I have other dudes, my buddy Jim Dexter that you know, swears, swears on the Bible with that stuff, man. <laughs> um, but uh, so here's what I do, right? Just so everybody knows, right? But I'm a little bit, I, I'm extreme in that, but I, you know, I have my setup pretty much down. If it is a uh, screw mounted one, like your, your, all your open emitters for the most part are screw mounted ones, right? Now these, these days for the plate, I am red locked, red lock tiking, uh, the base pipe down. Um, mm-hmm. I skip vibratite. I skip the blue. I red lock type that thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm fortunate that I have enough guns that I can just, I don't, if I want to try another optic, I just go get another gun. You know what I mean? That sounds conceited and stuff like that, but it is what it is, guys. That's what I do for a living. You yep, know what yep. I mean? Uh, to where I don't have to worry about changing out plates. And now plates, I mean, you know, if I want to try a Holosun or a Trigicon product, it's the same plate. You know what I mean? Um, uh, yeah. Well, and, you know, people, I, I hear where you're going with this because, you know, I mean, like that plate is, the thing is, is that, for instance, on an optic, on an open emitter optic, I, I assume that you witness mark your screws. Yeah. Right. So to, I remember to, too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. To, to make sure that you can, you know, inspect your equipment like you should. And yep. ah, things are still where they should be. Nothing's backing out, you know, that kind of thing. But it's hard to do that with a plate that you don't see. Like you can't. Right. You, like a, a plate's good until it's not. Right. Yeah. And it fails and you're like, ah, crap. So like I could totally see the logic in that red lock type, lock that sucker down. Never, hopefully it never, ever, ever moves. And if you do have to swap it out, well, you know what? It's not impossible to remove. It's just, it's more difficult. No, it's actually quite easy. I have you know, a, I have a travel, and yeah. boom. I have a travel pack soldering iron that I bought at Lowe's for 14 bucks. Yep. Heat that sucker up, put it on the screw, wait for a minute, heat the other one up, wait for a minute. Yep. Boom. It can come yeah, right exactly. out, you know? Exactly. Um, and it is the foundation. It is yep. the foundation uh, for the regular screw, screws, uh, the uh, the mounting screws. I just use blue Loctite, yep. right? The key is, guys, you don't need to you don't need to turn the screw blue, man. It's just a little bit, just yep. a little bit. And what I still do is I go all the way down, all the way up, all the way down. Uh, the one thing I will say, for example, because they use the M3 screws, CNH only uh, recommends ten um, uh, inch pounds of torque. I'm Mongo that thing, man. I go twenty. Mm-hmm. Right, because yeah. here's the deal: if I break it, I got I got backup supplies and get backup supplies. Yeah, yeah, get backup supplies for yeah. that stuff. You know what I mean? Um, so that's the biggest thing of mounting, which is probably the other advantage, however, with closed emitters because they all have the clamping style uh, of it. You only have two screws; you only have the two mounting screws, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have the side and you have the side clamp screw, which really isn't a failure point at all because it's. It's so long and so and uh, so deep in the crossbar. It it doesn't really. I don't. I don't think it doesn't have as much exposure to uh, reciprocating forces. You know what I mean? I've like I've never had one back out on me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, between the five hundred nines, the Acro, and the Steiner, I've never had one back out on me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's just less points of failure, and I think that's the other reason why the closed emitter clamping style uh, is uh, another reason why the closed emitter is attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, you know, with respect to mounting, I mean, I think one thing a lot of people get wrong is, is torque. Um, and, uh, and, and the, you know, requisite, uh, Loctite or, or thread locker of some kind. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I spent a 
probably more time than I should in various online forums. And you see all these different complaints <laughs> and yeah. like, you know, nine times out of 10, the, the, the problems that the users experience is, is something that they did with the failure yeah. to do all things correctly. Yep. User induced operator error. So read the instructions, use the necessary equipment, torque everything properly, and then witness market too. And, and just regularly inspect your gear and, should uh, should have no problems. And use quality. You know, don't don't use cheap screws. Um, I, I definitely, you know, I, um, Buck over at CNH has been great to get screws from, and I know that they're quality screws. You know, instead of I bought it on Amazon or Wish or something. You know, and oh, all you got to do is go to uh, oh my god, what's the uh, Harbor Freight? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a, a thousand screws is like four bucks. Yeah, you know, just in case. Now you got to make sure that thing is secure because if sure. it gets messed up in your luggage, you got a basically an M3 screw grenade in your in your luggage <laughs> when you try and do your laundry and stuff. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Ask me how I know, right? Um, but yeah, so here, here and here's the thing, right? I've told people like, hey man, if you're going to be in the dot, you need to do one of two things, right? Right now, you need to go buy the Wheeler set, right? The mm-hmm. torque, uh, uh, the uh, torque screwdriver. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and or uh, a fix it sticks mm-hmm. the fix assist kits man great stuff well I don't need to do that with my irons gun I'm like son you're trying to be a craftsman you have invested in a higher level of sighting system man mm-hmm. and since you're talking to me you probably you have that means you've invested in a higher level of training you need to be a craftsman and a craftsman has tools that support his tools so yep. get with it yep. get with it stop being immortal talking about your iron sights. <laughs> Yeah, I, after I saw your fix it sticks kit, I was like, I got to get me that, and yeah. uh, I got it. You know, the the works kit, which comes with pretty much everything you need. Oh, for pistol or rifle. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a great little kit, kind of spendy, yeah. but I, you know what, just hey, it's an investment that's uh, worth worth making, and it has been. It's paid dividends well, again and again and again. I've beaten that kit up, man. Mm-hmm. Right. I can't tell you how many times, you know, before I was on the road all the time, I'd go by and like, oh, I don't have this. Go out and, you know, go get your, you know, your Lowe's cobalt kit. Right. Yeah. And that's that screw is in there, but you almost got it. And all of a sudden the bit goes, <laughs> 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 you know, and you're like, oh, my God, I stripped the screw. No, I stripped the bit. How did I? What the cheap garbage <laughs> is that? It's high quality stuff. You're yep. getting your money's worth. You're yep, getting your absolutely. money's worth. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, okay, so mounting solutions. Yeah. Sites, backup sites. First yeah. of all, how important are they? And if you're going to have them, like, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing with that, man. Um, part of this is just fueled by my own. Like, I'm not OCD about anything except for my teaching and my shooting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and my tools, my guns support those things. Uh, your gun's already milled for them. Just put them in there. Your, mm-hmm. your gun looks dumb with those empty gaps. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I, I saved $45 by not having in there. What? What? <laughs> what? So just, just put them in there. Okay. Um, which do I prefer? I prefer blacked out. Right. If you want to go with some tritium thing, stuff like that, hey man, knock yourself out. If you are truly shooting target focus, you won't see it anyway. You know what I mean? Um, you don't want them too tall, 
right? As Buck likes to call it, you want to have some low witness ones, right? Uh, the ones that I endorsed that he and Night Vision uh, did a thing. Uh, I want to call it like a 132nd, 116th. You know what I mean? You barely see it over the top there. Um, it does have, you know, it does have the tritium in front because that's what night vision sites are. Sorry if I'm stepping on excess, guys. Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what I do is when I put them on my gun, man, I just take that Sharpie and go, Bloop, and that fixes that. Yep. The cool, I will tell you the cool thing though, man, if it's truly a nightstand gun, right? You're going to see two things in the dark. Your dot. And that glowing tritium through the sharpie, right? Uh, does it is it is it crucial? No. Is it cool to find it? Yeah. You know what I mean. So, yep, yep. So backup irons, uh, do it. Yeah, do it. You know, and 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 here's the other thing, man. Um, for example, Jared Reston will tell you. Uh, look for square range shooting, straight up. You know. Um, non-off-axis shooting, man. Uh, if you're seeing your sights when you're shooting the dot, you're doing it wrong. But mm -hmm. sometimes, sometimes you're an extreme off-axis behind cover around cars, yada, yada, right? Where your head can't be aligned with it and your gun's not aligned in a vertical position. Sometimes using those irons, right? In extreme off-kilter positions can help you find that, just like you can with a rifle. Mm -hmm. Just like you can with a rifle. You know what I mean? Um, so why not? It's not the, the answer. The, the question is not why. The, the question is why not? Mm -hmm. You know? Yep. So just another gross sight picture. It goes, right? We talked about gross sight pictures, right? Yep. Backplate, window, guillotine. The next gross sight picture up, iron sights. Mm -hmm. The next refined up from that, dot. Next refined up from that, distance, LPVO. Mm -hmm. You know? Why not have all those options, especially if they don't slow you down? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, and I appreciate you making the point of you don't need and, and don't necessarily want to have backup irons that are perfect co-witness through the optic window, because that's just stuff getting in your way of using the dot in it. Yeah. You know, and it's an attended purpose. Right. You know, right. I see that, you know, and I see the photos posted on Instagram and stuff all the time. I'm like, what the heck is up with these big old massive tall irons? You just, like you said, you just need, they're, they're backup irons. Mm -hmm. Something goes wrong with the dot. Hey, I just need a little front post and little rear notch and we're good. Yep. Yep. You'll hear that all the time, like in competition and stuff like that. It's like, well, I don't need a blah, blah, blah. I go, what if your dot goes down, bro? Mm -hmm. You're shooting that Seymour thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. The RTS two or whatever that is. Right. Yep. And it's like, well, then I'll just, you know, I'll just window the whole thing. Yep. Doesn't usually uh, work very well. Yeah. How'd that work out for you on the stage? Ah, you know, six mics, <laughs> you know, okay. If you would have had irons, you might've only had two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Well, cool. I, I think uh, so far what we've talked about has been uh, pretty valuable information. I think uh, for folks, especially if you're, just getting into the red dot game, or if you just want to make sure you're getting things set up uh, properly. Uh, what, what I, else can I add, yeah. Let me add one more thing to that. Yeah. I think you're going to ask me that anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest piece of kit outside of the actual pistol and dot that will uh, encourage 
proper performance with it is get a good holster, man. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you. I mean, because the draw is the foundation, right? What's the main complaint? I mean, like, I can't find the dot on the draw. Okay, why? Well, your mechanics, you know, uh, are horrible, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of the time, man, it's because you have this horrible, ill-fitting holster that either has not enough retention, so it's spilling out, or way too much retention, so that when you pull it, it snaps over your head from the kinetic energy. You know what I mean? It's not in the right place. It's too low. It's too high. Get a good holster, right? What does a good holster mean to you? I don't know how you carry Right. If it's an AIWB, it needs to have a wide or two contact mounting points. It needs to have a claw. It needs to have some sort of wedge involved. Right. Um, And it needs to have adjustable retention. Okay. Um, It needs the draw needs to be effortless. But if you're jumping up and down, the gun doesn't pop out. Right. But the whole is the foundation. If you have a bad holster. Right. uh, You're not going to get to the to the level of skill that you want to. Especially with the unforgiving dot. Yeah. Well, and to that point, I mean, that that is the number one complaint when I'm talking with folks that don't know much, don't have much time behind a red dot pistol. Um, they feel like it's slower. Mm-hmm. They feel like they're they're worse off because they they you know can't find the dot or it's inconsistent or. Or, you know, oh, I'm just taking too long to get it all lined up perfectly on the target and stuff. So, like, to that point, mm-hmm. um, and you're answering one part of that equation already very, very nicely, very perfectly in that you're, you're, you're correct. If you don't have the correct grip from the, from the get-go, and that starts right from the holster, so the holster is fouling you up. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, of course you're going to struggle. Of course you're going to have issues. You, you saw that in the last class you were with, with me at, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you can't lead a horse to water. I mean, I don't know why somebody would pay yeah. five, $600 to come to my class and then not listen to what I say, but whatever, fam, you do what you want. Yeah. <laughs> it's your money. You know what I mean? But we saw that with that guy. Yeah. Uh, holster was, you know, uh, non-conducive to his body shape, not in a, uh, not conducive uh, to body structure and where the holster was at. And he struggled, man. Mm-hmm. He struggled. And I think a better holster and better holster placement would have helped him out a lot, but absolutely. You know, yeah, I agree. So. Uh, people tend to think of, well, I have my gun and then I have my holster. My holster just carries my gun, but the holster, you, you said it being the, the foundation is that's a, uh, that's an interesting way of putting it. And I, I completely I think I've said something similar, but, but, but the way you touch, you know, the, the way you're making that connection from the holster is important to your shooting performance, especially with something like a red dot that is less forgiving because yeah, you, people got to get away from just thinking, well, the holster just carries my gun around. No, the holster allows you to draw and grip and access that gun in a consistent fashion so that, when you get the gun up here and you're going out to target, it's pointed the same way every yeah. time. Your grip is the same every time. And then you're looking at the target and wow, boom, dot appears. Wow, where'd that dot come from? That's amazing how that works. Yeah. People discounting holsters are like people going, people trying to run a race mm-hmm. and they go, well, the shoes aren't important. They just hold my feet. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yep. No, bro. You try running a marathon barefoot or in dress shoes. See how that works out for you. Yeah. See how that works out for you. It's just, it's the <laughs> same thing. It's the same thing. Yep. So. Yep. Very good. Very good uh, point to make. But what are some of the other, um, you know, again, to the common complaints? Oh, I'm slower. Uh, struggling to find the dot. Like, what what are some of your common solutions you find for for that? Well, the first thing we have to realize is that human perception is a horrible shot timer. Yes. Okay. Um, number one. So we actually need to put it on a metric, right? Are you slower? Well, let's see. Let's do a draw. Okay. You're not stroll. You're not slower. You're just unfamiliar with this and you're getting more information in. So it feels less frenetic. So that feels slower to you, but you're, you're not slower. You're not. Or maybe you are slower. It's just because you don't care what you see in your irons because you ain't seeing squat. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was in one class. It was hilarious, man. Uh, actually, in the at, at uh, the San Antonio range, uh, Real mm-hmm. Defense. Right. A couple, uh, four or five classes before you were there recently, mm-hmm. and uh, I was a husband and wife. And the guy has this beautiful CZ shadow too. Right. And we get to the part where I show the guy my grip, and you know how I go. All right. So who had improvement? Who stayed the same? Who had uh, a decline? Right. And the guy raised his hand. I had a decline. I go. What'd you see? He's like, I didn't see the dot once, man. I'm like, okay, so I fix his grip. I take all the brain cycles out, fix his grip, right? He shoots and it's like, right? And he gets done, he holsters up and his wife starts laughing, right? He's like, woman, why are you laughing? He's like, because that's the flattest I've ever seen your gun move since we've been shooting. And he goes, well, that's cool because I still didn't see anything. I was like, what? What is, I go, hey man, do me a favor, bring your gun up. You see the dot? No. Bring your head to the right for me. Oh, there's the dot. Guy was cross-eyed dominant. Didn't even know. You know, <laughs> you know why? Because when he shot irons, he didn't care. <laughs> because he was accepting a horrible sight picture with irons. So he didn't even know he was cross-eyed dominant. Yeah. But when there was a clear um, picture to be looking for, right, Mm. Now he saw the difference. And for the rest of the class, he burned it down, mm. burned it down because he could see. He was a blind man who could see, you know, yeah. which is much like the stories a lot of us tell with, with, with the dot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so you really got to get into it, man. And I, and the only way I can teach that is through people watching me to do it. Right. And a lot of that comes from watching people do jujitsu and, and watching my professors teach people and, and stuff like that. But that's generally the thing, right? And mm-hmm. at, the, at the core of everything, here's the thing, man. There is no way that a single focal plane, right, that is faster on your carbine is not faster on your handgun, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you may need to get over the novelty, right? You may need to get over the uh, unfamiliarity with it, but I'm going to give you every reason in the world and every metric on the world to show you how to do this. And at the end of the day, you want to go back to your irons, knock yourself out. That's never happened though. Never happened. Yeah. You know, you're, you're kind of touching on too a little bit. Uh, I just came off an episode talking with my, my producer and co-host Matthew uh, about some, some vision related stuff uh, and particularly how, 
you know, proper vision processing techniques can also help reduce stress. And, mm. and part of that, we, we talked about a, a study for Science Institute study, in fact. Uh, you're probably familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Where, the quarter second study? What's that? The quarter second study? Um, I was thinking more of the, the, the quiet eye study, you know, talking about like expert, excuse excuse me. I just talked my, my, my microphone expert, uh, like SWAT team level guys. Yeah. And looking at the difference between them and rookie officers and their performance and like what was different about that in terms of their vision. And one thing that that revealed is that the, the more expert level shooters, tended to always be, I mean, number one, they had the so-called quiet eye, right? Mm -hmm. They knew what to look for. They knew where to look and they were very visually focused on that. And that's all threat relevant information and that they tended to not ever look for their sights, but the rookies would be kind of looking all over a little bit more erratically at, you know, more looking more generally at the target or the threat. And then when it came time to actually shoot, their vision would often shift back to the front sight and it was causing problems with them. Number one, getting hits on target and number two, being slower and getting themselves shot. Mm, yeah. So you make a great point in your class. So I kind of just wanted to hear your thoughts on this some more and, and, and have you elaborate on a little bit as, as far as your thoughts on this, but you, you mentioned how we've been threat focused for millennia, mm-hmm. you know, since the beginning of time, basically spear, Arrow, uh, hands, uh, feet, rattle, whatever, yeah, yeah, sling, you know, and, and yeah. then all of a sudden we decide to stick these bumpy things on top of our guns and like, oh, we're supposed to be looking at, you know, this thing that's three feet in front of my face instead of at my target, my threat. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted yeah. to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. It is what we had to do. Yeah. Right. Um, we didn't have the technology to uh, to do otherwise, and we've got very, 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 very good at it. You know, very, very good at it. Um, but yeah, it is. I mean, there's not much more to it than that. Yeah. Um, and, and here's the thing: everyone, you know, uh, kind of goes, "Well, you know, he's he hates irons." Well, I love irons, man. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for irons, I would not have the career I have trying to fix all that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know. It's like, you know, we, you know, we, uh, we always discuss, you know, interesting techniques that have made it into the mainstream, uh, that have really messed up a lot of people. Right. But at the end of the day, man, if everybody was perfect, we wouldn't be having a job right now. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So, uh, our goal is to help those people out with efficiency and that's all a job. That's all the dot is. It helps us get back to the way we visually process information, uh, since we were born, we're just getting back to that. Right. Um, unfortunately, the way that the architecture of the dot, it has to be enclosed in a, sh- in a shroud to protect it from the elements and protect it from glare from the sun. It is what it is. So we need to get a little bit of technique in there. But after you get over that, everything's the same as pointing point level go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's definitely some benefits there. I mean, you, you and I, I think uh, in the very first uh, podcast I had you on, uh, we spent a little bit of time talking about mistake of fact incident mm-hmm. mm. and, and just that alone being uh, threat focused is so huge. And that's one of the things they found in that uh, for science Institute study was that the, the rookie cops tended to mistake the cell phone for the gun and mm-hmm. vice versa, mm-hmm. uh, partly because they were 
looking at other things versus just looking at the threat, looking what was actually in the threat's hands. Uh, and so that threat focused vision is, is huge. Now here's the thing. What it, I, I spent a large chunk of my shooting time being very much, you know, front sight focus, you know, because that's, that's the way we were taught. That's the way I was taught and learning to shoot on the red dot has helped me in all aspects of my shooting, regardless mm-hmm. of the sighting system used. Yep. And I shoot now my irons target focused hundred percent mm-hmm. of the time. I would say even hundred mm-hmm. percent with maybe the exception of like the most precise shot ever, you know, like if I was trying to shoot, try to keep uh, hits on a AC steel at a hundred yards, I might be a little bit more front sight focused, but yeah, but you know, learning, having my eyes open to the idea of target focus shooting with irons or with the dot changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's it, man. That, that's it. You know, yeah. uh, counsel, you're testifying. So I mean, yeah. that's, that's just that there, there's no more to be said to that. And I've said that to everybody's like, well, you know, uh, I'm just investigating this for my department. You know, I don't want to get too hooked on this. Cause I go back to irons. I'm like, Bro, you get hooked on this. Go back to your irons on Monday. Do a couple of drills. Your mind demands more information. Your vision demands more information. And it's going to get it out of that. It's going to get out of that from your irons, right? Because you shoot the dot, right? Mm-hmm. You shoot the dot. And that's just the way it works. I, I, other than cost, other than, you know, some yeah. slightly more maintenance, I, there's there's no downside to the dot, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, there was a comment here, a question, I guess, on YouTube. Uh, this is a pretty common one. I think it's pretty easily answered, but people always want to know, what distance do you sight in at? Or what yeah. should you sight in at? All right, here we go. I'm sure you get tired of answering that, but. Uh, no, I, I don't get tired of it because it's an absolutely legitimate question. <clears throat> yeah. I get tired of the rigmarole on the internet, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. Groundhog Day. You know, every single day, somebody, and then this is the diatribe of stuff. Here's the thing, man. I'm going to go through a Satan class, right? I don't care. I don't, I don't care what you zero at, right? But just have a reason, right? What, what's your reason? Um, for example, you know, the great battle now is between the 10 and 25 yard zero. Awesome. Right. And you'll have guys go over to blows, really the 25 yard guys. Guys, you haven't discovered the Holy Grail. Okay. With your 25 yard zero, right? If because here's the deal, right? John Dufresne actually did a great study when he put it on his thing, whatever ballistic calculator he had, whether I think it was spear 147 gold dot, right? Uh, a 10 yard zero prints 0.7 inches high at 25 yards, a 25 yard zero prints, I think, like 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5 low at 10. It's not that big of a deal, yep. right? But do it based on your practical application, right? I will say this about the 10, okay? You, you can't do it like a 25. That's the problem with all these guys who poo-poo the 10. They take an NRA B8, right? And then they put three rounds in the X-ring. He goes, okay, it's a 10-yard zero. No, it's not. It's not refined enough. That's why I use a one-inch square. I know other dudes that use a uh, uh, they use the bottom section of, the one, of my one-inch square on my targets, right? Um, It depends on your gun. It depends on your ammo, right? It depends on your marksmanship, more importantly. 
if you were doing this for concealed carry, if you look at most engagements, if, if you have access to the FBI's latest stats came out two months ago, or I'm sorry, two years ago or so, it's 10 yards. 10 yards is the likely pistol engagement. 10 yards, five rounds. Okay. Um, that's the average, right? That's, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there. Okay. I would rather think that I would want one uh, with a higher level of, with a high level of refinement in which I'm more likely to get into engagement at. Now, on the other hand, I need to know where it prints mm-hmm. at distance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the other thing, right? I don't want to be worried about holdovers and hold unders at the distance in where my engagement is more likely to be. On the other hand, at 25 yards, I need to know where it prints, but what do I have with distance? I have time mm-hmm. to factor in more holdovers and hold unders if, if I can, if I can. You know what I mean? Um, but at the end of the day, I don't care. Pick one, man. Right? If, yep. if you're doing it for concealed carry, 10 yards seems to be the go, man. And it's easy. You see the holes, you zero it in, get three rounds in the one inch square, and then go work on something else. Right? But if you, but if your department, right, shoots a lot of people in the face at 25 yards, man, you need a 25 yard zero. Or if your whole value as a human being is posting up your B8 scores on the internet, then you need a 25 yard zero, right? Uh, I have yet to meet the person that doesn't get paid to shoot B8s, <laughs> shoot B8s better than me, mm-hmm. right? I just did a class in Nashville where I shot a 100 first, first deal out of the day, first 10, first 10 rounds, I shot a 100. Right now, it wasn't a 25 because the range wasn't that long. I think it was like a 20 or 21, but, you know, it was like 8X, <laughs> right? Yeah, it was yeah. it was, it was going to be in the 10. It was going to be in the 10, right? So what exactly yeah. are you doing with your 25? That being said, you know, which should be the under sub theme, like you're an American, you do what you want, <laughs> right? Because the, the bottom line is this, right? From what I've seen, if you can shoot, your zero really doesn't matter. If you can't shoot, your zero really doesn't matter, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Nope. So the next time you get on your internet, uh, 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 your Facebook or your forum things, right, and you start carrying this twenty-five yard zero, or even ten, or even whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you getting paid to do that? Do these boys who on this twenty-five yard zero kick got your back? The answer is no. Because they're out busy shooting while you're talking about to your 25-yard zero club or whatever the hell that is, right? Uh, meanwhile, there's a there's an epic uh, argument about that on the internet. Meanwhile, Mike Pannone slips in and goes, I use a 15. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> zero your gun, bro. Zero your gun forever you want, wherever you can call your hits and you're most consistent. Because, yep. you know, at the end of the day, uh, show me your B8. Show me your build drill. Right. Uh, show me your three and two. Right. Uh, show me your plate rack. Yep. You know, <laughs> so would you would you have anything to say with regards? Because one thing I have come across in the last few months is uh, a logic that goes something along the lines of, well, my most likely engagement would be five yards. So I'm going to have a five yard zero. What is that based on, though? What's that based on? Well, you still have people out there throwing out the three, three, three rule, you know, the three seconds, well, three but, yards, three shots, you know. But what's that? What was what, the three, three, and three based on? Though? Uh, data from like 1990. Um, 
So I, there's long- various things to that, right? Yeah. So the first that the, where I track, because I had the same question, where the hell does this three, three and three come from? Right. And I believe in hopefully, you know, he'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um, at the time, I think Tom Gibbons had 52 students, alumni mm-hmm. that were in gunfights mm-hmm. and the average wound up being three, three and three. It's not an FBI stat. It's not mm-hmm. an F- Stop saying that people. It's not an FBI mm-hmm. stat. Uh, I think it comes from Tom Gibbons. Right. But that has validity to it, man. Mm-hmm. 52, 52 students. That's an, that's an, oh. that's an incredible anecdotal database to go off of. Right. Um, but he wasn't saying that was law. It's like the Tuller, uh, the 21 foot rule. It's not a rule. It's a principle. Right. I think the three, three and three became a principle. You know what I mean? Um, here's the thing with the five yard zero, you can't do amazing things with a five yard zero out at pretty much any distance because the math becomes that cone of deviation becomes yep. too wide, yep. way too wide. Yep. No, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, if someone wants to choose a seven yard zero, like, well, okay, whatever. Like I, I think the thing I think I'm bigger on than anything is, Use some common sense. Use your brain that God mm. gave you. Think through the problem that you have to solve and understand the why you do what you do. Yeah. You right. Know? And then understand also like, well, if I do this to satisfy the more likely situations or scenarios I may find myself in, but also understand that there are the unlikely things that do still sometimes occur and I should probably still at least be familiar with how to handle the unlikely events. I mean, being in a gunfight period is an unlikely event. So, a hundred percent, it is. You know, a hundred percent. Yep. Yep. Well, not a hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Uh, I actually had one guy. He was a SWAT guy. He says, "I zeroed my pistol at seven yards." And I'm like, "Interesting. Why?" And he goes. Uh, if I get into a room, if we're doing CQB and it's in a room and that room is bigger seven by seven, that's a big ass room, right? The last time one of our guys drew his pistol in an encounter was, uh, I can't remember, right? So it's a secondary, right? But if it's a secondary, I want to do it based on uh, the likely encounter, right? And if it's bigger than a seven by seven room, holy cow, yep. holy cow, right? That's a big ass room, yep. right? Um, so that's that's what I do mine from. I'm like, yep. And I'll bet that guy knows where his his rounds hit at twenty five, right? Right. Sure. Sure. Hundred I mean, percent. And that's what I'm all about. Is like, I I know I don't not to tout my toot my own horn necessarily, but like, I basically run a ten yard zero. Uh, part of that was when I first started experimenting with with red dots, I stumbled upon some of your videos, mm. and you explained the logic, and I said, you know what, that's sound logic. It's a lot easier to see my target at 10 and get started there and then send it back to 25 and make sure that, especially horizontally, I'm still, you know, I'm not just shooting a coordinate that I'm actually shooting in line with, you know, that my barrel and my optic and everything are lined up. Right. Um, But uh, I still run a 10 yard zero and I know exactly where it prints at every distance out to 100 yards. Yeah. So where do you hold with your 10 yard zero at 25 yards on the VA? I actually, uh, this is something that's evolving a little bit for me. Uh, If I'm running a a 6 MOA dot, for instance, so like my Romeo 3 Max optics or 6 MOA, Mm. uh, those work really well to just hold 
the the six like the six MOA dots like oh, the sides of the, the block. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. So it's just okay. like I just center it and it works beautifully that way. Um, the three MOA dot of my Romeo one, uh, I actually and I I, I have astigmatism a little bit, mm-hmm. so my my dot especially in three MOA looks more like a comma. And so I actually specifically look at the top edge of the dot at 25. And where do you place it? Then you put them on the bottom oh, of the X ray. I'm putting it right on the center. Like if I if I could read the X, I would put the top edge of my okay. dot. Okay. Right. So you cut the you cut the X in half. I cut the X in half. Which I, I would tell you, if you talk to somebody else that had that swore by the 25 yard zero, they wouldn't give you that much detail on what they're looking. Right. Yeah. Um, here's my pecking order for accuracy, right? Again, this is just from my experience, right? Uh, in orders of most important to least important, right? Most important, your marksmanship, okay? Mm-hmm. How good your trigger press is and how hard you hold that gun with your support hand, okay? Uh, number two um, is uh, the ammo, okay? Uh, Better and hollow points are shoot flatter and they're more ballistically uh, uniform, for lack of a better term, right? Than your 115 Winchester white box. Okay. And because they're hotter, they're going to shoot flatter. Ergo, be more accurate, right? So your ammo. Uh, number three, your gun. You got to know where your gun prints, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, for example, with Glocks, when I shoot Glocks all the time, uh, with the 10 yard zero, I would hold uh, my, you know, three MOA dot. Uh, with my RMR on the bottom of the X-ray and shoot 9,500s all the time. With a Walther, I just hold it in the middle just because the lockup's better on a Walther, right? Mm. Um, and I think that, I don't know, man, that whole, the the the, the step chambering that it has where it really locks in the bullet, man, uh, it's been documented to prove uh, improve feet per second by 20 uh, to 30 feet per second, right? And that goes directly to velocity, which goes directly to accuracy, right? So I just hold it in the middle. There really is no difference between my 10 and 25 yard. I don't have a 25 yard hold with my mm-hmm. Walthers, right? Mm-hmm. And then finally, the the least important thing is is your zero. Because again, mm-hmm. if you can shoot, it doesn't matter. If you can't shoot, it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah. Um, but I say that like with a 10 yard, well, you know, FBI stats, blah, 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 yada, yada. Kona deviation out to, you know, uh, flattens out. If you listen to some people, depending on your ammo, a 10 flattens out at 50, less deviation, yada, yada. Um, but no, it's, you know, it's it's actually 1.45. Bro, you think you can see 1.45 at 33 <laughs> yards? You really think you can see that? Yeah, get, get, get over yourself, man, right? Um, but the whole thing is, is that, you know, we spot off reasons for the 10, but if you shoot a 25, good luck. You're awesome, yeah. dude. Knock yourself yep. out, man. And uh, when you shoot on a three and two drill and you miss low, don't go crying. Yeah. Don't go crying because you're at three yards. Um, but and, the whole thing you, is, go ahead. And, and you should know that. Like if you're zero you should know five, yeah. you should know what your hold dart five right. and 10 and 15 and whatever, you know? Yep. Yep. No big yep. Um, and the other thing, I had an amazing uh, conversation with um justin dial Mm. right not only a a great american great military man uh great shooter great coach great teacher uh but uh uh very interesting historian do you know the 25 yard zero you know where the 25 yard zero comes from the 25 yard bull comes from 
I guess I can't. I mean, other than like the only thing that comes to mind would be old school bullseye. Yep. Shooting. Yep. But why twenty five? Why twenty five? Yeah. That, no, that, it's completely arbitrary. No idea. They started out at fifteen. Everybody started killing it, right? Everybody was shooting hundreds, ten x's. Then they moved it to twenty. Same thing happened. Then they moved it back to twenty five, right? It was a little bit, uh, a little bit more competitive out there as far as. Uh, uh, variations go but then everybody started killing it so what they do do they go back another five why didn't they go to the 30 why about the 35 nope they said nope we're done moving this thing 50 <laughs> 50 completely arbitrary completely arbitrary mm. right why does why does six sour um uh uh advocate for the 15 yard do you know because the Sig Romeo's MOAs are exactly calculated for a 15 yard zero. That's why. Oh, yeah. Didn't know that. That makes sense. No. That makes sense. I teach there once a year and I finally ask them, what's up with the 15 yard zero, guys? Why? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, well, you know, based on ballistics, if we have blah, 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 most federal departments, yada, 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 yada. So we made the Romeo that way. I'm like, that's genius. <laughs> that's genius. So you know what I did? I took, I got my Sig 320 full size. And my Romeo Pro, and I changed the zero to one into fifteen yards just mm. to play with it. Mm. There was zero. There was zero difference in my performance. Yeah. But I just yep. I wanted to see it. But at yep. least there was an answer. Yeah, there was an answer. Other than your favorite instructor says twenty-five yard zero is life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, I appreciate you giving some of that context. I think all that discussion is. Uh, it's in, it, at the very least, it's interesting to know some of the backstory, know some of the you know history, if you will, and. And again, just to throw the whole, you know, like what distance should I zero my red dot at, you know, discussion into just like, Hey, you know what? Pick something, pick something reasonable, understand why you do what you do and make sure it fits your context and like, okay, knock yourself out, bro. You know? Yeah. And also know that controversy is never going to end. Has it, has it ended for carbines yet? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> they've been shooting yeah. dots on carbines a lot longer than pistols. And I think still go. 36 yard, 50, 100. 36, 150, 200, yeah. 10 with a two inch drop. It's like, yeah. Yep. yeah, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. So again, I hope, I hope this has been helpful for folks, especially uh, those of you just looking at or just getting into red dots or, or making sure that you, you know, you're kind of on the right track, which whatever it is that, that you're here for today, um, Scott is the expert. And so we appreciate your time today and for having this discussion with us. Uh, I, you know, I'd like to have you on again, of course, uh, in the relatively near future and to, uh, to actually get into some less, uh, less equipment focused, you know, discussion and, and more on the actual shooting and technique or, uh, whatever, you know, I actually have some, some ideas I'd like to explore with you also sure. from the, uh, you know, I just did your red dot instructor course, uh, like not even a month ago now at this mm-hmm. point. And I, I had some, some good takeaways from that. And I think that'd be worthwhile to have you back on and discuss at some point. So if you're good, would yeah. love to, and, yeah. and guys, remember this, man, people tell you like, Oh, you just need to shoot more. Okay. Kit, kit's important. Let me talk about the holster, man. It, it, it's important with, with good kit, right? It won't yep. make you a better shooter, but it will remove obstacles. Bad kit creates obstacles. Yes. Right. So get good kit, shoot more, and get good training. There's it's a trifecta. One without the other will leave you wanting. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. And I appreciate you for for clarifying that as well. Well, again, uh, where can people find you? 
yeah, if you just throw in Modern Samurai Project anywhere on the interwebs, man, you're, you're going to find me. Um, you know, uh, I got a YouTube channel, IG, Facebook. Uh, uh-huh. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, man. And and a lot of them have redundant material in there. So uh, you see one, you'll see it on the other, man. But uh, right now, probably the most popular one is Instagram. It's just so easy. You're mm-hmm. in, you're out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I would like to get some more uh, YouTube stuff up, but that stuff takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and uh, how many classes you got lined up for 2022? I know it's a bunch. Uh, so Bev... Well, she released to me the schedule through November and mm-hmm. the schedule through the beginning of November has 85 classes. Uh, usually November, December, we'll run another 15 to 20. Right. So yeah. uh, we finished up 20, uh, 2021 with 103. Uh, next year seems to be on pace. Uh, we're booked through 2023. Um, got a couple booked in 2024 and 2025. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh the red dot has been very, very good to me. Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, loving it, man. It's better than working for a living. Right. Yeah. I know you're doing what you love and doing and following your passion and that's awesome. Yeah. And you do a good job of it at it. So, uh, you know, of course we wish you the best and, and hope to, hope to see you out there again soon. Um, so yeah, folks, I mean, like I said, at the beginning, get out there, check out his website. You're going to find, classes probably in your neck of the woods at some point or if you're interested in hosting jedi uh well like he just said you're gonna be looking a couple of years out but yeah. uh but you absolutely are welcome to uh to contact them and and uh you know work with him and also with beverly his wife that uh, keeps things running keeps the machine gears uh, spinning uh and and get on the schedule so yep Cool, man. Well, I again, I appreciate it. Uh, we wish you a happy new year and a successful 2022. And folks, again, as I mentioned, the plan is to have Scott on uh, in the relatively near future. We we talked at the instructor class, so we'd have you on here, um, perhaps on a more regular basis. I think the red dot thing is a relevant enough topic that's on enough people's minds. It's good to have fresh uh, discussions about it uh, uh, periodically. So. Um, yeah, if, you know, hit me up with your questions, folks. If, you, if you're listening to this after the fact, you couldn't catch it live, whatever, send me an email, podcast at concealedcarry.com. I'll make sure it gets on the list for a future episode of Scott so we can make sure we ask those questions and get, get his answers. Yep. Love to be back. Uh, obviously, respect you and everything that you guys are doing over there, man. It's the Lord's work. Keep on doing what you guys are doing. So, Thank you, brother. Yep. Cool. Well, until next time, folks, a reminder. Train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm-hmm.